This morning we're continuing our study of the book of John, and we come to the chapter, I know, I'm just talking so that people will, what did you, what did you call it, John Mark, the, the, the chatty chip, ch- chatty chipmunks or whatever, <laughs> I love it. We're continuing our study of the book of John, and we come to chapter nine, we're going to do the whole chapter. Um, before we jump into the text, this is to- I, I don't even have this in my notes, but I just want to share it. Um, when, I, when I was in college, I got, a, I got a sermon from my friend whose dad was a pastor, and it was a sermon on John chapter 9, and the title of the sermon was Eye-Opening Grace, and I listened to the sermon, and it changed my life forever. I was a Christian at the time, but uh, there were some things in it that, that really uh, opened my eyes to my own sin. And it was this, a sermon on this chapter that I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and open the eyes of the blind just like my eyes were opened. So you can imagine this is a passage of scripture that is, is very near and dear to my heart. And so I'm, I'm really excited to preach uh, the passage that we have before us. I really long um, for it uh, to, to transform your life as it has my own and, and that even applies to those of you who are Christians, those of you whose eyes have been opened to the reality of the grace of God. I know that um, the grace of, of God in Christ Jesus can indeed uh, be experienced once again. And so that's my hope for this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 9. If you don't, we have it printed in your bulletin. You just probably need glasses to see the text. That's just the reality of it. It's hard to fit 41 verses on a half of a page. <laughs> But nevertheless, we have it for you, and, and I'd love to read it uh, to you. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is, not this, is this the man who used to beg and sit? Some said, it is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked this man how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. 
His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world has begun has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Of all the songs in the history of the English language, I think you could make an argument that Amazing Grace is the most known, sung, and most beloved songs in our history of our language. I think you can make a case. When our country goes through traumatic moments, the leaders of our country gather around and they sing Amazing Grace. At funerals that you might have attended, People who haven't been in church for decades will come in and the song Amazing Grace will come on and those people who haven't sung the song in 40 years will instinctively sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. In our church, when we have sung the song itself, it's one of the most loud songs that we sing. I mean, we take over the, 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 the musician who's up there playing because we know it. We sing it. In our DNA. This is for good reason too. Because at the heart of the Christian faith. Is the truth that salvation comes to sinners by God through grace. It is by his grace that Christ has chosen us from the foundation of the world. It is by his grace that he's regenerated us and made us alive in him. It is by his grace that Christ offered his sinless life as an atoning sacrifice on the cross. It is by grace that he sends us his spirit on the day of Pentecost. It is by grace that he sustains us and preserves us through all manners of trials and tribulations. It is by grace that we will one day be resurrected as Jesus was 
2,000 years ago. For by grace, Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. This is the heart of our religion. Not what you do, but what has been done for you and given to you by grace. Christianity is a religion of grace. So we sing the words of amazing grace with gusto, with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. But here's the thing. We sing it, we know it, but not everyone in the church has experienced the very grace that is often sung about. Many know the song, they sing it, but the song and the words and the truth of the song has yet to penetrate the heart. The grace so beautifully articulated throughout the gospel has never led to the transformation that the song speaks of. I mean, how many of you can think about your church experience and describe it as rigid, legalistic, rather than gracious? I bet you I could go through each and every one of you as you tell me your story of your experience with church, and that is probably one of the experiences that you would come to. That's just a legalistic. It's all about rules. How many times in the past years, uh, a year alone, have we heard reports of pastoral abuse, bad stuff, and you're just like, isn't this supposed to be a place of grace, grace that changes us, grace that makes us different? The church, sadly, is not a place often where grace is experienced, though it is to be a place where it's preached and experienced like nowhere else. Sadly, the church is a place where grace isn't experienced. I mean, I'll never forget the time when I was interviewing for a job just after seminary, and they brought me in, and they said, tell me your testimony. And okay, I, I was immature at the time. You gotta, t- you gotta give me, get up to this. But I was like, if I'm gonna work in this church, I want them to know me, like know me and know all, all that I am because when I work in a place, I wanna be known and I wanna be loved because if I'm known and I'm loved, then I know that this is a place of grace. And so they said, tell us your testimony. Great, I would love to share it. And so I laid it all out there. The best way that I could describe it is I put my blood all over the table. I mean, I got my stinky, dirty laundry, put it on the table, and I was like, all right, let's see. Let's see what they do. And you know what they did? It was, it was like metaphorically, they took like one of those sticks, you pick up trash on the side of the road, and they took my dirty laundry, like, okay, we don't really wanna talk about that. We really wanted to see if your testimony aligns with what we need you to do. Now, my immaturity got the best of me, and I thought, these are fighting words. And I looked at them, and I said, and I, this, was, this was so stupid of me. Can I just tell you that? And I was immature. I, I looked at them, and I said, all right, stop right there. I literally said this to them. I said, is this is a church where you guys just talk about grace, but you don't live it out? Is this, is this, is this what this is? Because I want nothing to do with it. The, uh, as you can imagine, the uh, interview did not go very well. <laughs> and I didn't get the job, nor did I want the job. I came back, Kimberly was like, this is an amazing place. I was like, yeah, we ain't coming here, let's go. <laughs> In truth, it's easy to pick at churches that don't practice grace. It's really easy to do that. But if it happens in a lot of different churches, it can happen here too. And so I don't wanna spend my time picking on other churches where grace is not experienced. It's not transformative in our lives. I want us, Central Hope, 
to consider this question, each and every one of us. You might know the songs, you might know the words, but have you experienced the grace of Jesus? Has your life been changed by grace? How do we answer this? How are we gonna come to understand, have we experienced the grace of Jesus? Well, there's a number of stories throughout scripture that you can talk about grace's transformative power and how it has an effect, but I think, as I mentioned before, John 9 is my favorite. In this passage, Jesus comes across a man who's born blind with his, with his disciples, and his disciples don't even hardly look at the man. It says that Jesus looked at the man, and, and the disciples, they see this man and they objectify him, and they're like, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind from them? But unlike the disciples, Jesus is actually looking at this man, and he sees this man as something more than just a theological object to be used to discern. And Jesus says to them, it, is not this man who, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And as you know, Jesus spit, makes mud, he spits into the ground, makes mud, puts it on his eyes, and he says, I want you to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. In that moment, his eyes were not opened. He had to go. He had to seek help and go to this pool to be healed. And so he goes to the pool to be healed, and when he enters into the pool, the mud washes off, and when the mud washes off his eyes, the man sees, and everything in his life is now different. This man experienced the grace of Jesus and it transformed him. And what I want us to do is I want us to look at how it transformed his life after his eyes were open. If you will, John 9 is gonna be a case study for a transformed life, a life that has experienced grace. And there's three characteristics of this man that we will see that we will try, that I'm gonna try to compare to your life. I'm simply going to ask you, do you have these characteristics? Because these are the characteristics of a life that has experienced the grace of Jesus. There's three characteristics. Life, and if you're talking about life, I'm not talking about bios life, like you live. I'm talking about zoe life, life in the fullest. I have come that you might have life, Jesus says. So you see this man has life. That's the first characteristic of this man. The second one, laughter, laughter. And the third characteristic, love. It is my uh, kind of thesis, if you will, that those who have experienced the grace of Jesus, you will live, you'll laugh, and you'll love. So if you got the outline, there you go. I've already given it to you. Let's jump in and let's study it. Let's see how a life that is, or someone who's been transformed by grace lives, Zoe lives. So shortly after the man regains his sight, who sees him? Do you remember? Do you remember his neighbors? These are people who know him, who've lived with him. I mean, this is not like, oh, my neighbor is, they live in Washington, the state of Washington. Like, no, no, these are proximity neighbors, people in the neighborhood. And look at what they say about him. Is this not the man? There's a curiosity. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And what do they say? Some said yes, but others said no, but he is like him. Now these are some profound sentences. And what does this tell us? 
And a significant transformation has taken place in this man's life. Look, look at the first transformation. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Of course, we, we don't need a, a PhD to consider the fact that someone born blind is going to have a hard time working. But now this man's eyes are open, and now he doesn't need to beg. But I think if you, if you think a little bit deeper about where he went and what happened, I think, if you think about it, his whole person, like his whole body changed. Now, I, if I was blind, I would not look this good, okay? I just wouldn't. I wouldn't have the ability. That was supposed to be a joke, guys. Like, <laughs> you think I'm serious about that? No. It's a point that I'm trying to prove for this man. This man has no clue what he looks like. But the moment he comes out of the water of the pool of Siloam, he looks at himself like, whoa, no wonder I stunk so bad. And I imagine him going to his home where his parents lived, because they were in the story. He's like, mom, dad, why did you not trim my beard? Why did you allow this dirt to be smeared all over my face? Why did you let me live in these clothes? Oh, sorry. And I see this man cleaning himself up, trimming his beard, putting on these new clothes. And so when he goes to his neighbors, they're just, go, what? Who is this guy? And they're uncertain. Why? Because his, whole, like, his physical presence was transformed by the grace of Jesus when he healed him from his sight. It's the truth of the grace of Jesus. You ever heard the famous uh, sports phrase, look good, play good? You ever heard that? I mean, when you look good, I mean, you're going to dominate. Like it, and Jerseys are important. The NFL just changed the rules for the jerseys, and these guys are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars just to, be, to get a, a different number. So if a player, if they were number 54 and they want to change it to number nine, this is a Dallas Cowboy player just did that. He paid two, three, four hundred thousand dollars to buy all the jerseys with his number on it. Why? Because if you look good, you play good, you play good, you feel good. And this is exactly what this man is. He's confidently going about it. And I know he's confident. Why? Because when there's debate, the man's like, yo, it's me. I was that blind guy. And they're like, I don't know. No, look, it says it right in the text. He persistently said, I am the man. I am the man. Look, the grace of Jesus came into this man's life and his life was changed. He was full of life, Zoe life, the ability to work, the ability to live confidently, the ability to, to engage with his neighbors with confidence and to work. This is exactly what happens when the grace of Jesus comes into our lives. Have you ever heard the story of Helen Keller? Many of us know Helen Keller. She was, born, she was born with sight and the ability to hear, but at 19 months old, she contracted some sickness. Some say it was bacterial meningitis. Whatever it was, at 19 months, when, when, the, when the sickness subsided, she lost the ability to see and to hear. And so for the next five years, this little girl lived inside her own mind. Reflecting on it later on in life, what she said is, Light, this is what she said in her autobiography, light, light, give me light. That's what she thought. Her soul was screaming, light, light, give me light. And so for five years, this was her problem. But at, at age seven, a woman named Annie Sullivan, who was mostly blind herself, entered into her life. And she picked up Helen Keller into her arms and began to, to, to write on her hand. 
And then to take like, water, and she would put water, and then she would write the letter W-A-T-E-R. And for a month, Annie Sullivan did this with Helen Keller. And it was crazy. The family thought, we need to put this woman in the, the psych ward. She's, she's, we can't do this. But at a month, light burst into Helen Keller's life and she began to realize that Annie had entered into her life and gave her the ability to communicate and to understand and that changed her life forever. Helen Keller would go on to become one of the most 100 most influential persons in the 20th century according to Time magazine. She was the first to become the she was the first deaf blind person to ever receive a bachelor's degree. She would write books, write a autobiography and even give speeches and she had no ability to see or hear. She was transformed by the grace of Annie Sullivan. Friends, This is what Jesus does for us. His grace comes near us. He picks us into his arms, not because we're beautiful. No, we're broken like Helen Keller is beautiful, broken. But he loves us, and his grace begins to transform us over time. And so simply want to ask you, has your life been changed by grace? This is what Jesus does. He moves graciously towards his own and gives them life and light. And the question for you is, do you know that life? Has something significantly changed in your life upon experiencing the grace of Jesus? Has your personality begun to change? Have you, have you stopped doing things you once did and started to pursue things that you, did, that you now want to pursue with Christ? If you cannot answer the question, maybe you haven't experienced grace. Because when someone experiences grace, you live. So the first characteristic of a life for someone who's experienced grace is that you'll live. You'll really live. But there's a second characteristic of those who experience grace. And that characteristic is laughter. If you've been transformed by grace, you'll laugh. Now, I would argue that this is one of the most humorous passages of the New Testament. The man who's been healed of his blindness doesn't laugh, I know, okay? But I imagine him doing this when he's asked for the fourth time how he's been healed. You can see this in verse 30. The religious leaders are so bent out of shape about the fact that Jesus made mud on the Sabbath. Okay, according to their law, it was illegal in their law, not the Bible, but their law, to spit into the mud to make mud on the Sabbath. And these religious leaders are more bent out of shape by the fact that Jesus spit into the dirt and put the mud on his eyes. And so they're coming to him, and and, and if you look at it, they're constantly asking, "How how did he do it? How did he do it? How did he do it? Not realizing the fact that a man was blind and now he can see because of the result of it. And the man who's been blind comes up and he's like, well, this is an amazing thing, isn't it? This is literally what he says. You don't, know, you don't know where he comes from, and yet he's opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The ignorant, the unlearned, the one who begged for his livelihood, the one who'd never received a formal religious education is now educating the very people who educate the religious. And he's laughing at them. 
Not a, you're so stupid, but in a, are you kidding me kind of way? Like, are we really having this conversation? I once was blind, but now I can see, and all you want to talk about is mud in my eyes. This is ridiculous. You see, those who've experienced the grace of God, they laugh. And they laugh because all they have received and all that they've experienced has been a gift, a gracious gift, so antithetical to the world that we live in and to the concept of religion that permeates our world. The world and the religious around us live in this you get what you earn type way. It's an exacting and it's precise with little room for grace. This is why the Pharisees were so adamant on, on focusing on the mud being made and not on the big picture of a man being born blind. It's because religion is exacting. You get what you earn. But this isn't how Jesus works. He comes and he graciously deals with those who are unworthy of his love and care. To people bro born with brokenness. To people who are down in the dumps, beggars. And he graciously moves towards them and heals them and works in them. And those who experience it, they think it's the most ridiculous thing in the whole world. And it moves them to laughter. You know, the best way, the best illustration that I've got of this chapter in terms of movies and this is good. This is for like the 90s. For those of your parents, kids, you might want to check this out when you get a little older. Happy Gilmore. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. Here's why I say this. If you know the movie Happy Gilmore, it's a hockey player, a washed up hockey player who's played by Adam Sandler who, who can't quite cut it. And he's helping his grandma move out of her house because she couldn't pay the bills. And these movers have these golf clubs and, and they, they make this bed and, and he's like, and he hits this golf ball, and he hits it 400 yards, and it hits this woman at the house at the, end of the, at the end of the street, and she falls out of the house, and the guy goes, 20 bucks says you can't do it again. He's like, you're on, and he does it again. And So this whole story about his, this crazy, washed-up hockey player entering into the professional golf world, a world that is very proper, and Shooter McGavin is the one who's played by this. I mean, it's literally John 9 right in front of on movie screen. It's it's, you know, Adam Sandler laughing at the establishment. You get what you pay for. I think Shooter McGavin at one point says, says in there, he's like, this is, I've worked my whole life for this. And this guy comes on the scene and he tears it all up. It's the same thing with the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus is going to upset the religious establishment because the grace of Jesus is not dependent upon anything that you or I do. The grace of Jesus is dependent upon him alone and it's absolutely positively ridiculous and it moves those who've experienced it to laughter. If you wanna know where, if grace has overcome a church, listen for the laughter. Listen for the laughter. You know, I can tell you this with confidence, and this is, this is not, but in my community group that meets on Friday nights, I'm telling you, we have belly laughed like nobody's business. Yeah, it's probably not the most religious of language all the time, okay? It's not that way, but we are laughing. And we're laughing in some ways because we're covered by the grace of Jesus. This is who we are. Nothing we do can stop God from loving us. Nothing we don't do can stop God from loving us. Why? Because it's by his grace. 
The blind man could not lose his sight because by grace, Jesus looked at him and gave him his sight. Can you laugh? Can you laugh in church? I'm gonna try to help you laugh. Mitch Hedberg, you ever heard of him? This is totally, this is, this is not even, this is just a laugh, okay, guys? This is not even tied to it. I just want you to laugh. Mitch Hedberg, he's the greatest with, like, little sayings. I got five of them from him. Just listen. I want you to laugh, okay? <laughs> I like rice. Rice is great when you're hungry and you want 2,000s of something. <laughs> I haven't slept for 10 days because that would be too long. A waffle is like a pancake with syrup trap. Every book is a children's book if the kid can read. Is a hippopotamus really a hippopotamus or just a really cool opotamus? <laughs> I just want you to laugh, guys. <laughs> See, when the grace of Jesus comes in, you can laugh in church. Listen for the laughter. That's when you know that Jesus is in the building. Listen for the laughter. You see, when, when those who've experienced grace comes, they'll live and they'll laugh. But there's a final characteristic of those who've experienced grace, and that is they'll love. See, if you've been transformed by grace, you indeed will love. It's hard to catch this reading this the first time, but when, the man was put, when Jesus came to the man, he put mud on his eyes, and he wasn't healed right then and there. He had to go to the pool of Siloam, didn't he? He didn't ever see Jesus. He didn't know where he was, he just knew what he sounded like. But when he went, he was healed. His eyes were open, but he had no clue. It was almost like he had a partial healing. He was physically healed, but not yet spiritually healed, right? He didn't know who Jesus was. He had experienced his grace, but not fully. But I love this, in verse 35, Jesus finds him. What happens to the man? He gets kicked out of the synagogue, right? He's got nothing, he's got nothing. But he's glad to have nothing because he wants nothing to do with those religious exacting people. He wants nothing to do with them. And Jesus finds him and he begins to interact with him. And he says to him, do you believe in the son of man? And he said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And what does he say? Lord, I believe. And then he worships him. This man in this moment began to experience not only the grace of a physical healing, but the grace of a spiritual healing. If you meet the needs of someone's physical needs, they'll thank you. But if you meet their eternal needs, they'll love you. And this is exactly what happens with Jesus. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And what he's telling this man is he's saying, do you believe the Messiah, the one from Daniel that is promised, the one that's going to bring... God's people out of sin and slavery, do you believe him? And the man says, you know I do. And he couldn't help but love. You see, when grace comes in, love is the natural outpouring of it. Love is soon to follow. I've said this a hundred times in this church. You might not have heard it. You might go, I've never heard that phrase before. But the natural response when love is received is thankfulness. When love is received, you will be thankful. My three-year-old gets that. I love seeing that. I met a need for him the other day, and he looked at me, and he said, thank you, Daddy, unprompted. Jesus met this man's most eternal need. He met his physical need, and he thanked him. He loved him. 
This is our response to God's grace. Some people are hesitant to embrace the message of grace because they are afraid that it makes the church do whatever you want. They call it antinomianism. There's no law. Do however you live. But that is never the way the, the case. It's, indeed, it should be amazing grace. But amazing grace always leads to love. It always leads to love. I don't, I, 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 I'm gonna say this anyway. I love sports. Will, I love sports. Just like you, baby. I love it. Every morning I used to wake up in the morning, I'd open up the sports page in the newspaper. You don't know what the newspaper is, but it's a newspaper. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But I would devour that sports page. I mean, I just, I, I, to this day, I still love to talk sports. I love to, to, to watch it. I love to play sports. But you know what happened when I started to experience the grace of God? Sports did lose its power in me a little bit. I better said it, it found its proper place. I remember in college, the Super Bowl was on. And it was on a Sunday night. And on Sunday nights is actually when my, the, the, the campus ministry that I was a part of that we met. And we weren't gonna have a big deal, but it was just gonna be a night of worship. And I just was like, I don't wanna watch the Super Bowl. I wanna go worship. And I, I can think back to this day and be like, who is that guy? Because that is not the guy that used to read the sports page and devour everything on that. You know who that guy was? A man who's experienced grace. Because someone who's experienced grace is gonna love. This is the natural outpouring of someone who's experienced grace. And so let me ask you, do you love? Do you love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And I'm not saying all the time. But are you seeing your life increasingly growing in love of God and of neighbor? If it is not, then my friends, you've not experienced grace. So I wanna close. And I wanna close by acknowledging two types of people in this room, maybe more. There are some of you in here that indeed have experienced God's grace. And as I've walked through the characteristic of a life that has experienced grace, life, laughter, love, you go, yeah, I think so. Then my, common, my, my, my commendation to you this morning, right now where you sit, is simply close your eyes and begin to give thanks to the God who has looked at you by his grace and who has loved you and transformed you. That's you, give thanks. But I realize that there's other people in here. As, as I've walked through the living, laughing and loving, you go, I, I don't know if that's me. I'm not sure. I don't know if my life has been transformed by grace. Well, if this is you, I want you to consider one last thing. And these are the words of Jesus after he has this encounter with the blind man. You can see that at the very end. Jesus says to them, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Here in this statement, this last statement of Jesus, he's doing two things. He's criticizing the self-righteous and religious people. Those who are trying to base their identity based off of what they do or what they don't do. Those who say, oh, I see God. Oh, I see him. Maybe even they'll say, oh, I've experienced him. But there's no fruit of such an experience. He's criticizing them. He's saying, you think you see, but you're blind. 
but he's also doing another thing. He's showing us the way to grace. And you wanna know what he says about this? He says, if you want grace, you must admit you're blind. You must admit that you come to Jesus with nothing in your hands. My friends, if you are not characterized by life, laughter, and love, this is the moment for you to quiet your heart and say to the words of come ye sinners, or, or to believe the words of come ye sinners, all the fitness that Jesus requires is to feel your need of him. Are you blind spiritually? Are you in need of his grace? Acknowledge it. And in acknowledging it, he is so good to pick you up into his arms and to meet those needs. When we experience it, my friends, we'll be changed. Let's pray. Lord, there's some of us in here that indeed have experienced your amazing grace. And it is so good. And all we can do is give thanks to you. Lord, we are undeserving of the love and the care and the, the healing that you have brought in us. And all we can do is just love you. You're worthy of that love. You're good. You're amazing. But there's others in here that might be confused and, and might be, oh Lord willing, convicted. The fact that their life is not one of life and laughter and love. And so I ask that by the power of your spirit, it would reveal to them their need of your grace. For it is your grace that enables us to come and to see you as amazing. It is your grace that enables us to be transformed. Lord, change them. That they may live. They may laugh and they may love. Amen.